Hello, and welcome to The Ad Pod, the podcast dedicated to discussing advertising topics. I'm your host, Wayne Bloodwell, and today we're going to be talking about ad impressions. To talk about ad impressions, I'm joined by Charlene Dar, the founder and CEO of Method Media Intelligence, a digital ad measurement company focused on transparency and quality. I've known Charlene a number of years, and there is no one better to talk about the complexities and life cycles of an ad impression than him. This discussion was genuinely eye-opening, so I hope you enjoy and learn as much from it as I did. So without further ado, let's start episode one of The Ad Pod. Hey, Charlene, welcome to The Ad Pod. How are you doing and where are you? Hey, Wayne. Um, Doing okay, considering the circumstances that everybody's in. I'm in New York City right now and still figuring out whether to stay here or move to Cabin in the Woods or something in between. <laughs> Isn't everyone moving to Florida? I keep reading that everyone's there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm i not ready to move to Florida. Let's just <laughs> say that. Okay. Um, so for those of you who don't know you, would you mind giving us just a quick introduction uh, to your career and then what it is you do now? Yeah, um, I started my career in media as a data analyst for um, OTT transaction management company uh, for online media and ads. And then I started doing sales for a lead generation company that basically did CPL for dentists and veterinarians. And that was kind of my first introduction to this world of ad fraud um, because we started getting fake leads on our landing pages. And then I actually spent three years working at ad networks that uh, monetized hundreds of millions of impressions every day at a one cent CPM. And so you can imagine what type of traffic that was when we were making a profit selling impressions at one cent CPM into the exchanges. Uh, But that really opened my eyes into how bad supply actually gets in to the marketplace. And so since 2016, I've actually been working fully on helping advertisers actually protect their budgets from that type of traffic and making sure that there's some marketplace integrity. And for the first couple of years, that was as a consultant and auditor. And now since uh, late 2018, we've been doing it with our uh, measurement product at scale. Nice. Yeah, I found myself laughing and then felt bad I laughed because it's so bleak. If you don't laugh, um, you'd probably have a breakdown. But I imagine some of the things that you saw... Back then, and like I think, um, which is why it's great to have you on, is that lots of what happened then is there's perception it has improved, but as you know, being at kind of the sharp end of it, uh, there's lots of it that hasn't. Um, yeah, and I guess one of the you know, the topic today is talking about ad impressions, and I think it's because people just think you know this ad just advertiser puts it in their ad server. And publisher itself on the publisher page and happy days. Yeah. What what can go wrong in that process? <laughs> but there's tons that can go wrong in that process, and that exposes it to to tons of risk. Um, yeah. but, but I guess as a starting point, um, how would you define an ad impression? What is it? It depends who I am if I'm going to be defining it. Uh, the thing about ad impressions, especially in a you know marketplace that everybody acknowledges is a very complex supply chain. The billable event in terms of you know when you are done handling the impression as a transactor 
is what ends up defining what an impression means. Um, you know, the actual kind of official definition should be a ad creative that is served on a web property and actually shown to a user. That would be a valid impression. But there's also different stages between the actual publisher, whether that's a streaming channel, a mobile app, or a website making an actual ad request when a user is loading the page to the exchange, to the DSP, and then to the ad server, and all the different technologies that measure along the way. Um, everything but the you know, ad server counts uh, when an actual impression is rendered are essentially incomplete transactions, but they're still called impressions. So uh, the definition really just depends on what company and what party in the supply chain you're asking, because the impression to them is as soon as they're done being responsible for it. Yeah, and then I guess with the um, prevalence of advertising on smart TVs, even mobile phones, um, desktops, you know, uh, connected devices, etc., that flow of where the ad serves and when it renders, etc., makes that process to track a billable event more difficult. Do you think? Um, the billable events, I think, are clearly defined based on, you know, how the company actually bills and how they count events. So a DSP is billing on when they win an auction because that's their mandate. It's to win the opportunities to actually place ads. So their bill, billable event is clearly defined. Uh, the SSPs uh, and exchanges, you know, they make money two ways. One is just hosting transactions. So they host kind of like an auction um, hosting fee on a CPM basis. And then they also make a rev share on completed transactions. So there's the incentive just to just hold as many auctions as possible, as well as actually to complete these transactions and um, increase yield for publishers. So um, the, the difference in the actual media environments or the devices that these ads are serving to uh, depends on what type of measurement we're really trying to do, right? Is there's, I always look at the difference between pre-bid and post-bid measurement. You know, pre-bid is server side and post-bid is uh, client side. And those are very, very different things, but a lot of the time they get uh, mixed into the same bucket. And I think if we, as an industry, get to a wider understanding of how different those two things are, uh, then I think we'll be in a better place. Yeah, and, and for those who are listening who wouldn't know the difference between server side and client side, would you mind explaining what that means in the context of you know ad ad information kind of flowing? Yeah, it's you know so server side is kind of you know what has the previous the previous transactor said that this impression is versus actually looking at the environment um, where the ad is being served. So in a pre-bid context, you're basically getting the auction information of, hey, there's a bid request coming from Exchange A, Website X, and it's above the fold with this type of audience and this browser, and here's the you know, floor price. And then the bidder gets to respond saying, okay, yeah, I'd like that. Similar to how you know if we see you know, an actual art auction, 
it's not that the painting is being passed around the room for everybody to touch and feel. You're kind of, you're describing the attributes of what's for sale. And then people place bids. And in an actual physical auction like that, you do have the opportunity to then inspect the actual product and then say, no, this is not what you actually told me it was, and then not have to pay for it. In online ad transactions, that's a little bit more difficult because we're talking about billions of transactions and they happen in 50 to 100 milliseconds. So it's not like you have a ton of time to decide whether this is actually where I want to serve my ad. And so the measurement and verification process has to kind of act accordingly that the decision times are quick enough to not hinder ad delivery and also allow you to do it on 100% of transactions because that's where waste thrives is in those nooks and crannies where you're not actually validating every transaction. And so client-side measurement is where we focus, where it's post-bid and we can actually see the browser and the device that the ad is being delivered to versus just looking at what the seller is saying. Got you, got you. Um, And I guess, you know, when you sort of explain that the process of an ad being served and how it goes through the supply chain, and how different companies, either they're their server side or client side, how they measure one impression is, yeah. um, you can pretty quickly realize how there could be a ton of discrepancies, how those <laughs> with response times, how those uh, impression flows can break down. Um, I guess in that flow, you know, for the for the listener, why why would a ad exchange record a different level of volume of impressions versus a uh, publish uh, versus an advertiser ad server? Um, I mean, we can start with that. This is not a new problem or new issue. Uh, the industry standard for discrepancy tolerance is 10%. I mean, that's what we see all across the board is, hey, if the discrepancy is less than 10%, let's just try to move on and shrug it off. Um, so I always try to describe to clients, you know, the, why this happens is one ad impressions are intangible as a commodity. It's not like you have a warehouse of ad impressions. That's why like, you know, we, I think the term inventory always kind of mischaracterizes exactly the nature of ad impressions because inventory is like, okay, you have this stocked up somewhere, but ad impressions don't even become possible until 200 milliseconds before they're completed. And so it's not really that sense of inventory that's stocked up. It's just kind of rapid fire life cycles of these transactions. That's why I always love uh, that quote from the founder of Rocket Fuel, um, George John, where he said, I think it was like 2009, where people were comparing programmatic trading to the stock market and you know high volume Uh, quick transactions. And he said, ad impressions are not like stocks. Uh, He said something like, you know, they're like snowflakes that each one is unique and then they melt. And so the discrepancies come from either not being able to complete the transaction in time because of communication between servers like the bidder and the actual exchange. And then there's also just kind of user initiated behavior that could cause those things like leaving a page before the ad actually loads. Uh, you know, we've all been on a website at some point where we just see that frame that looks like an empty space, but 
there's still activity going on in the background to try to fill that space with an ad. And if you leave before it gets filled, then there's a discrepancy. And when that happens at scale and there's any sort of miscommunication between these servers or timeouts, uh, that's when these opportunities disappear. And that's why I always emphasize the billable events is if you're not being billed on actual completed rendered ads, then you're open to just your money evaporating. And so the the source of truth for an ad impression would be um, an ad that renders on a uh, user's device, which is measured post-bid client size in an advertised ad server. Ideally, yes. Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream we're chasing. <laughs> I got you, got you. Um, I think, you know, it's it, it's... I imagine people are getting to this point and it sounds maybe like it's technical. Uh, maybe it's something they shouldn't really care or be aware of, but in the context of, you know, global ad spend is, you know, 600 billion plus last year, half of that is in digital and we know digital yeah. is going to outstrip traditional. So that's a ton of money, which is being delivered yeah. in technical ways and you don't need to be a technical person to understand that what we've just been speaking about has a bunch of inefficiencies and discrepancies and different ways that different companies are doing things. And I think that to, to move that conversation forward would be to talk about the kind of the, the ad fraud side of that. So there's all this money at stake. I remember reading this study where it said that, um, fraudsters are now focusing on digital advertising because it's easier to make money and more money than in the financial markets so we kind of like opened ourselves up here to being um defrauded because of how the system kind of operates um you know important to note not in every every single impression but a bunch of them um you obviously come from a background of looking at this in a lot of detail every single day and i think yeah. ad, ad fraud is quite like you know gets often mischaracterized between you know people sat behind their computer screens siphoning money out versus <laughs> yeah just well, web-based crawlers um so i think it'd be good if you could explain to us what kind of types of ad fraud are there so there's a you know, I love that example. There's always, you know, in the trade press for an article or some sort of white paper, you see, you know, this hooded figure uh, in a dark room sitting behind a computer screen. And sure, there's somebody sitting behind a computer screen, but they're not tracking, you know, or deploying a bot on their computer. That's not how you do this at scale. They're probably just looking at an Excel sheet of their profit margins. That's what that hooded figure is actually doing. The, my favorite way to actually characterize what ad fraud looks like behind the scenes is headless Chrome deployed on AWS. It's a headless browser that you can program to do pretty much whatever you want. Uh, you can give a list of 50,000 sites, you can give it a list of 5 million sites, and it will basically just sit there and do its job and go visit all of them and scroll up and down. And you can program headless browsers with as human-like behavior as humans are capable of. Um, you know, these headless browsers were not created specifically for 
what we call ad fraud. They were created as QA testing tools for developers. If I'm creating a mobile app, I want to be able to simulate a mobile device on my phone or on my computer that will interact with my mobile application the way that a user potentially would so I can test different features um, and identify bugs, same way I would do on a website. And so these tools that were created for automating the testing process can also be deployed to just simulate human activity. And because a lot of the traditional approaches to identifying ad fraud were around identifying that behavior, that gap between the actual activity and how much we detect has gotten bigger and bigger because human behavior is not like, you know, it's, we're not looking at somebody's like DNA to validate their humanity on the internet. It's like, okay, were your mouse strokes too linear? Uh, did you click on too many things? Were the keystrokes that you entered too rapid in succession to be human-like? And all of that is subjective and all of that takes time. And so that's why that gap has gotten wider and wider. And so we're talking about you know, where ad fraud comes from. You know, there's the mythical botnet operators that we keep hearing about in different press releases, but these botnets live in data centers now. They're not, you know, the, if you're talking about the, just the financial attraction of this type of activity, obviously that operator would want to reduce any criminal liability. And so distributing a botnet through malware on people's devices is far less efficient than actually just deploying at scale in a data center where you have no limitation of hardware or computing capacity. So in a data center and cloud services, you can go from 10 devices to 10 million devices very easily. Uh, that's not as easy when you're actually infecting 10 devices or 10 million devices and actually maintaining that infection rate to be able to simulate all that activity. So, um, I would definitely say that you know these things that we see on social media, these uh, rooms with walls of phones that people are going around and clicking, that is not the main ad fraud impact. That really cannot be done at scale uh, the same way it can be done in data centers. So ad fraud's changing. And this is where that kind of technical component comes in is as long as you can simulate the right characteristics of an ad request, that's really all you need to be able to do. And we're seeing that with a lot of these releases of uh, CTV and OTT fraud um, exposures of, you know, they're just collecting app bundle IDs and channel IDs and then passing those in the ad requests. And that's enough to attract the right bids and generate revenue. So the traditional characterization of ad fraud with the hooded figure behind the phone or, you know, the, goofy guy hopping around the room from uh, phone to phone on his wall uh, is just, you know, that's, it's mythical compared to what the reality is. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I sometimes question some of these exposés as well around the incentives of those doing the exposing. Um, uh, but no, maybe that's a different topic entirely about integrity. Um, but where does the, where does the money go? So like if I'm an advertiser, I log into my demand side platform, I put in yeah. $1 million of budget to run this month 
how is it getting into the the well either a you know sometimes the wrong hands or b just like simulated environments who takes that how do they actually get paid so they get paid by the exchange so it's not that you know this i i always get confused with this language of you know ad fraudsters are siphoning money out of the system they get paid by the end supply side aggregator whether that's an ad network an ssp or uh, an ad exchange uh, obviously you know those terms can be used to describe the same company but uh, whatever your definition is that sell side aggregator is the one that cuts the check to the seller so that's who ad fraudsters get paid by and everything else is just transacted the same way that a legitimate ad impression is and so if we have an industry estimate that hey you know we have this heavy tech tax and you know 55% of programmatic budgets get taken up by all the technologies between the advertiser and the publisher that also applies the same way to every invalid ad impression and so if we if we say ad fraud is a 10 billion dollar problem every year that's 5.5 billion going to ad tech if we say ad fraud is a 20 billion dollar problem that's 11 billion going to ad tech from that so there's only a certain amount of money that the actual sellers and operators get at the end and they get paid by the they get paid by the entities that you see in an ads.txt file yeah yeah <clears throat> which um Yeah, so ads.txt, I think, was a important initiative to list them out. But yeah. still, I don't know if all of the sellers and resellers are necessarily incentivized to always do the right thing and rep represent the inventory in the right way. Um, particularly the reselling process. Um, but I think at this point, you know, what what are the steps that um buyers in particular can do to kind of mitigate these risks uh, mitigate the risk of their budgets not being deployed and, and going to the right places i would say the first thing you have to start with is look at this as waste not as fraud um you're not when an advertiser has their budgets impacted by this problem it's not that you're a victim of a cybercrime it just means that you don't have good enough quality measurement in place so because the volume of these transactions and the speed at which they have to be validated in the kind of main components of addressing the issue are one make sure you're being billed at the right stage so make sure that all of your contractual billing is based on ad impressions that are delivered a lot of people that we see you know get caught up with you know well I'm just going to mandate 100% viewability or 90% viewability 0% IVT and then you find out that they only have pre-bid filtering in place which is you know IPs and user agents which can easily be bypassed um unfortunately for us uh and then the uh you know viewability measurement is generally about the actual frame that the ad is being served into. So as long as that's not viewable on a screen, that's what the viewability measurement is saying is positive. It's not the actual full render of uh the actual pixels 
of the creative. So making sure you have clear definitions on what you're being built on. Uh, and my recommendation is always go to your ad server counts rather than any sort of uh, bidding or exchange counts. And then have measurement in place on 100% of impressions because otherwise you just constantly have incomplete data sets. And the only way to really do proper modeling for optimization is by being able to identify the working media impressions and just model based on that. But if you have, you know, if you have a hundred million impressions, six, let's say optimistically, 70% of them are valid viewable impressions. There's 30 million impressions then that were not working media. And when you're doing any sort of optimization, you should be able to exclude that data from the modeling. And the only way to do that is by having impression level measurement data. So that's always the starting point. And you don't necessarily need an outside vendor or verification for that, but it starts by having just access. And I think that's where you and I have had several conversations of uh, marketers actually having the ability to access these platforms and see this data themselves rather than only relying on a five-page PDF that they get on a monthly or quarterly basis. Yeah, I mean, it's staggering what some brands are unable to see. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily the fault of a third party. Um, it's just sometimes you try to get logins, sometimes you try to get access to visualizations, and it's not always that forthcoming. You always sort of question yeah. why there might be. Um, and I, you know, as you know, I think as we've gone through this discussion, if I was a brand, I'd be hopefully a bit better understanding the how information flows, um, how impression events are considered differently in technologies, understand a bit more about the the variety of ad fraud and how sometimes that's actually used as an incorrect term, uh, and also some of the ways you, know, you, you can mitigate for that. And hopefully, you know, become a bit smarter after this conversation. But if you were to go away to your desk in five minutes' time as a brand, what would yeah. be what would be the one thing that you would recommend they do to kind of look into this, how their money and and uh, and how this kind of uh, buying impressions? I would say, if you are a marketer with a significant amount of programmatic spend, start by just looking at the number of impression counts in your DSPs and compare that to the impression counts in your ad server. I would say that's the absolute basic starting point. Identify what that gap is and then go confirm whether you're being billed on the larger number or the smaller number. From there, you can actually decide what sort of verification or enforcement you're going to be put in place. Because if you're being billed on the auction numbers, you can do all the post-bid measurement and verification that you want. You're still paying for every invalid impression. And so we, you know, we always have to help clients get to that stage. But the kind of ideal scenario is that an advertiser has already addressed that problem and then they can put in the enforcement policies for quality assurance that they want because it's in that gap between the auction closing and the actual serving of the creative that you can do a lot of legitimate enforcement 
um, on your quality levels. So that's where I would say the starting point is. Um, we could sit here for probably eight hours uh, to talk about all the follow-up steps, but I would say that's definitely the starting point. And you know, the same applies to direct campaigns as well. It's just compare the counts between the uh, publisher and the advertiser ad servers. Cool, that's amazing. Um, thank you so much, Arlen. I really enjoyed this discussion. Um, really appreciate you coming on as our first guest. And, of course, yeah, I'm honored. And look forward to hopefully meeting up in person over at Guinness sometime soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. That's what I won't uh, won't tell my father-in-law about the Guinness, <laughs> but yeah, New York Guinness does not really meet the expectations of the Irish. To be honest, no, but, no, it go. does not. <laughs> cool, nice one. Speak to you soon. So there we go. Episode one of the AdPod is officially in the books. I really hope you enjoyed the discussion and learned something today. I guess all that leads me to say, in classic podcast host style, is please subscribe to the channel on whichever provider you're listening to and go to theadpod.com to find out other relevant links. Thanks for listening and see you soon. <laughs>